Okay, hi, I'm Rob Berry, and I'm a believer in Christ who's recovering from pride, which the Lord hates, um, managing information, which the Lord hates, and self-righteousness, which the Lord hates. So, <laughs> all right. Well, if God wanted to transform me into the image of his son, like Romans 8:29 says, then the verse, Jesus wept, would be the biggest indicator that God has and is changing my life. Let me say that a different way. The fact that I can cry and like weep today, um, which some of you have witnessed um, when I'm on stage, um, is just evidence that God's at work. So let me explain what that means. In 2008, my mom was in her third round uh, of cancer. And we had, my wife and I had one kid at the time. My wife looked at me and she said, "Um, something's really wrong with you. And um, you just don't feel things. You don't have emotion. I've never seen you cry. You're about to lose your mom, and something is deeply broken in you. And she shannon like this. It's like you're emotionally detached. I think you should go to recovery. Um, so if your spouse has ever said that, we're in good company to you. But she was right. Um, becoming emotionally detached didn't happen in a vacuum. It happened over years of not coping with reality and hardships in a healthy, biblical, and Jesus way. I had a bad, um, several bad coping strategies. So I would summarize my childhood as this. It was the perfect riches to rags story. We were a hardcore Roman Catholic family. I had six siblings, so I was the oldest of seven kids. Um, I was like the complete moralist in our family. That doesn't work out well when you have siblings. Um, I was the good child. My dad owned a small, small oil company, and we had it all. We are the family that took yearly vacations to Disney World with, like, a full-time nanny or babysitter. Uh, we also went to the beach. It seemed like overnight we literally lost everything. Our house for the next 15 years would be characterized by a horrible smell, raid, which is like roach killer. When you would open up the silverware drawer, roaches would go everywhere. My house was an absolutely chaotic and miserable place to live. I remember the only time I would always spend the night at my friend's house because I never wanted to be home because it was so chaotic. But I remember the one time my friend spent the night at my house, he woke up the next morning with like hundreds of ant bites all over his leg, and I just wanted to die. My mom was also a hoarder. Not like up here hoarder, but like right here hoarder everywhere. So I never wanted friends inside my house. You couldn't really see poverty that kind of poverty, you know, from the outside looking in, but what you, what you could see from the outside was we were like the family in North Dallas with windows that were broken out because we had so many kids and balls and all that stuff. And we just, we were the family with like cardboard in your windows in like North Dallas. Not, not really cool. We, we were on food stamps for like ever from elementary on. And we all coped in all really unhealthy ways, all of us, all seven kids. Um, I wanted, being emotionally detached is wanting to escape even when you have to to be physically present. Um, I think the lowest point came for me um, with one of my brothers. We would, my house was characterized by chaos and physical fighting with everybody, including my dad. And probably at the lowest point, um, my brother was high, which was one of the way um, several of my siblings coped. And we got into a crazy fight. 
because he was fighting with my dad. I jumped in, and he ended up hitting me with, with a two-by-four, and my head was bleeding. I remember being in the shower, and he came back out with an aluminum bat, and I was just like, this is crazy. And I remember going to bed that night thinking, um, because he was high, that he was probably going to kill me in my sleep. And that was probably the, the lowest point of just wanting to get out of my house growing up. I found my significance in sports. On the field, you could win. You could be the guy regardless of what your home life was like. I remember wanting to punish rich kids on the football field. All throughout high school, I never remember doing homework because I never wanted to be home. Like, just watching my kids do homework now, I'm like, that's crazy. I, I never did that. This, this is great. <laughs> um, I escaped by running to my girlfriend's parents' house. I would just stay at my friend's house, my girlfriend's parents' house, till their parents came to me, and I went by Robbie. They would say, Robbie, hey, it's time to go home. And I was always like, okay. At church, I developed a view that God was like Zeus to me, just waiting to throw a lightning bolt at me as soon as I messed up. I wanted to keep God pacified and not angry at me. I wanted to stay on his good side. When I was 16, everything changed. My girlfriend's dad, his name was Tom, and other young, young life leaders shared the gospel with me. It was the best news I'd ever heard. The idea that God, who created the stars in the universe, so I'm tearing up now. There we go. Um, the, the idea that God, who created the stars in the universe, loved me so much that Jesus died on a cross for me was literally beyond comprehension. The biblical idea that I was saved not by my works or merit, as Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, but by Christ's merit and his work was simply mind-boggling. The fact that he was alive, I couldn't even understand because all my life I had seen Jesus still nailed to a cross. At 16, I placed my trust in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for my sins and became a Christian and Christ follower. Even though my sins were paid for and I knew my eternity was secure, I didn't know how God felt about me day in and day out. Was he angry? Was he happy? These, angry, these questions would still follow me until I jumped into recovery. The same man, Tom, gave me my first Bible. I couldn't believe God's larger story of redemption. I soaked it up. I read every day. I started memorizing verses with him about the basis of Christian faith, like eternal security, like you can't gain your salvation and you can't lose it either. I lived throughout high school. Um, I, I remained all throughout high school in three different codependent, unhealthy relationships, the last of which lasted two and a half years. Codependency is just believing that you can change someone and needing them to be okay for you to be okay. A major shift happened in my life when I was 18. Um, that same man paid for me to go volunteer to camp in Colorado, where I was there for an entire month. It was there where I saw women my age walk steadily with Jesus and not e need anything for men to thrive. I was floored watching girls serve like this at Frontier Ranch. I came home after that month, broke up with my girlfriend, and started going all in with Jesus. This was the first season of getting healthier. I was scared to date girls all throughout college. I literally had one girlfriend for three months, and it, like, scared me to death because I just didn't know how to be a Christian and date people. I still believed God had secured my eternity but didn't know how he felt me, about me day to day. I wanted to follow the exact same path of the man that led me to Christ, Tom, even though we, we weren't wired at all alike. <clears throat> I wanted to take a completely different path than my parents. 
whatever you try not to be like somebody and try to be like someone else, that usually doesn't work out well for you. It didn't work out well for me. That guy went to seminary, so I'm like, I need to go to seminary because I want to be just like him. Um, this is what my parents majored in in college. What's the furthest thing away from what they majored in? And I just literally picked it. And I just made decisions like that um, probably over the next 10 years. So much of my identity became, um, was wrapped around people's perception of me. That's called people-pleasing and insecurity. So fast forward to seminary. Out of college, I was living for the master's degree in my wall. I just could not wait to be known as a master of theology, which is so shallow. I don't even know where that degree is today, and I don't care. Outside of misplaced identity, I had a secret summer of binge pornography right before I got married. It was a secret sin that I would fight by myself for the next seven years. I would have victory and sobriety for three to four months, then have a horrible day. I traded in in seminary an abiding walk with Jesus, and all that means is reading God's word, listening to God's word, and trying to be dependent and connected on him. Um, I traded that in, abiding walk with Jesus, for writing papers in seminary. And what Jesus says happened, happened. I got worn out, tired. I was like a withered flower and wanted to get as far away from the church and his people as I could. Leslie and I had made a handful of not great financial decisions um, the first seven years of our marriage. My wife and I were both working full-time jobs, had a kid, and it just was not working for us. We were essentially roommates and felt like passing ships in the night. All of this led to my wife telling me I needed to go to recovery. In 2009, um, I remember my friend telling me that the biggest misconception of recovery was that recovery was for those people. But the truth is, it was, he was, kept saying, the truth is, recovery is for everybody. In my pride and hypocrisy, I actually thought that recovery was for those people. But I submitted to my wife and went. I remember walking in and feeling like, this is weird. We were reciting steps. It felt very liturgical, kind of like the church I grew up in. I just felt like it was weird coming to recovery for the first time. I remember thinking during the testimony time and the open group time that these people have different symptoms and problems that I do, but deep down they're just like me. I could identify with their struggle their, and their inner turmoil, um, even though their issue was very different than mine. The more weeks I came and listened to weekly testimonies, the more I believed that God really could change me. I literally couldn't imagine a world where I wouldn't crave pornography throughout the day. Even if I wasn't clicking on anything or going back to pornography, I just literally craved it all the time. Secretly, I really wanted um, there to be a fix with my craving problem. My community group was also helping me see patterns of people-pleasing and withdrawing in conflict. I came from a family who yelled, so I would just play the other side, withdrawal, and hope that time heals all wounds. I came to realize that the phrase, time heals all wounds, is a total lie from Satan. Time heals treated wounds. I had a lot of open relational wounds that I needed to seek out and clean up. Every time I sought someone out from my past, owned my dysfunction in the relationship, and asked them the question I learned in Regen, which is, will you forgive me? It was like literally a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. I was scared to death to walk into a couple of those meetings, but every time people responded in grace and forgiveness. It's crazy how things can get when you just say, I messed up and don't point a finger at somebody else. It was the first time in my life 
where um, I was practicing weekly confession and cleaning up my past. Pornography and the, um, and the craving became very clear. Either I'm going to submit to my right hand and click on an image on my computer, or I'm going to submit to Jesus. There's no other path. It was that black and white. It was also during this time when I started understanding my identity in Christ. Jesus' affection didn't change for me because of my sin and for me not being perfect. The scriptures say that I'm loved, adopted, forgiven, righteous because of Jesus. I'm not condemned. God doesn't love me any more if I have a good day and any less if I have a bad day. There's no one else like the God of the Bible. Romans 5.8 just says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God just loved Rod Berry, whether I was a hot mess or whether I was obeying his commands. It just gave me complete freedom to confess sin like James 5.16 says, a, a scripture you hear often. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you will be healed. I started to realize that a, this is a command and not a suggestion as a Christ follower. If someone wants to judge me for being a sinner and confessing sin, that's their problem. I started to believe again that anything the Lord commands me to do is ultimately for my good. He wants me to have abundant life. He wants to lead me in life. He is the way, truth, and life, and he is where life is. Maybe the best thing I learned in recovery is how to ask for forgiveness. The phrase, again, will you forgive me, literally changed my marriage. I remember the first time I asked my wife, will you forgive me for this? It's almost like we did not, we didn't know what to do. I still remember the first time she called me and asked me for forgiveness. I was going southbound on 75 at Mid Park. I remember what, it literally was so transforming our marriage. And we started getting healthier together. In recovery, I also came to grips with Psalm 51.6. It says, you, meaning um, the Lord desires truth in my inmost being. I realized that wasn't me. I wasn't a bold-faced liar. I wouldn't even change the story. I would just submit 10% or 2% if it made me look bad from the story. I was essentially managing information. This, again, was just more evidence that I was broken, loved to worship myself, and it was really all about me. It's like, I'm sorry, you're stuck in my world. Over time, I came to understand that when I'm not telling the whole truth or confessing the whole sin, I'm essentially worshiping Rob Berry, not Jesus. And that doesn't bless anybody. It's the wide gate and the white path that do not lead to life that Jesus talks about, and I needed to repent. One thing I did mention up front is my wife, after encouraging me to go to recovery, asked me one question every husband wants to hear outside of another question. She said, do you think I should go to recovery with you? The obvious answer when any spouse asks you that is yes. We went through recovery and got healthy together. I remember her like week three saying, do I really need to be here? And I got, she, I was like, are you asking me for permission to tell you why you should be here? She said, yes. And I let her know. And she's like, yes, you're right. So anyway, we both stuck it out. It was great. Live together. Um, what I would say is, um, you can't have a healthy marriage with unhealthy people. Life today is marked by keeping short accounts with people, especially my wife. If you want to know where I practice what I learned in Regen the most, that is like super easy. It's my home. We're creating a home where getting frustrated with people is normal. That just happens. So is taking responsibility for your part and asking for forgiveness. I can't think of a week that goes by where I don't ask somebody in my house for forgiveness. It's allowed me... Um, to write relationships quick when I mess things up. 
we left our community group literally last Thursday night at like 9.30. And on the drive home, my wife looked at me and said, that thing you said to that couple was such a jerk thing to say. And I was like, what? I, what? Um, she was right. All that to say is, as far as making quick amends, I initiated with that couple the very next morning, owned my sin, and asked them for forgiveness. Literally, I blew it with people and damaged relationships with people I love within the last, like, five days. I discouraged some of my closest friends. Over the last years, over the last eight years of community group, our community group has been together. Nine of ten, ten people have gone through Regen, worked on our past, and committed to apply the principles with each other. It's been sweet in our group where people have shared secrets that they literally wanted to take for, to the grave. And they were met with forgiveness, grace, mercy, and encouragement. I remember sharing the one secret I wanted to take the grave with those guys and my wife. It was incredibly hard, painful, but I've never regretted it because God's word is true. Confessing leads to healing. My relationship with my kids are sweet. It's still hard because they're sinful kids and they have a sinful dad. But sweet because we, me and my kids practice these steps I learned in Regen. I've... Um, substituted um, confessing and regen group with a weekly or daily confessing with my community group. Some of the scariest times are when I'm driving to meet my guys and I can't think of a way I've sinned over the last week. I know it's a matter not, not a matter of if I've sinned, but when I've sinned. I'm just blind to it. First John 1 says, if anyone thinks he's without sin, he deceives himself and makes God out to be a liar. Um, and I'll just kind of end with you know, where I started, which were the biggest evidence where God's um, just changed my life. And um, I, I think I was crying on stage one day, and one of my friends went to my wife and was like, Rob is so tender. And she goes, Rob? Barry? No. Um, but we would affirm that Rob Barry, God has been at work in my life, and I'm just thankful because nobody wants to be married to someone that's just emotionless. If I could tell you one thing tonight— it's that Jesus wants you to be free. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to have thriving relationships. And there's nothing you can do for him, for him to love you any more or any less. He just loves you. Keep showing up and do the work. Thank you.